0: Hey everybody, what's going on? Rob Cisternino back here with another one of our Survivor Game Changer cast previews. Episode number three in this special series of the podcast. And today, it is all about Tony Flacos. And I'm really so pumped up to have Tony coming back here. I think that you guys already know this. But really, Tony was so much fun to watch in Cagayan, And I'm ecstatic to see what else he could possibly have in that bag of tricks coming up here in Survivor Game Changer. So that's why in this episode of our Survivor Game Changer series, we have an episode dedicated all to Tony. We're going to do two segments today on Tony. We're only going to do this one other time and we're going to do two segments for the two wins from Sandra Diaz-Twine later on in this series. But first today, we're going to hear from John Kraus, somebody else that we met during the So You Think You Can Podcast series. We also heard from him last month when we talked about the drunkest moments in Survivor history. So John is a lot of fun in this interview today. So we will talk about Tony's game and his legacy and then... In our second segment today, we're going to be welcoming back our friend Jordan Kalish from this week in Survivor history. He is going to talk about a list he compiled, the 11 reasons why he loves Tony, where we're going to take a look in some of the moves that Tony made, but also some of the best Tony moments from Survivor Kageyam. We have a lot of sound clips as well coming up in that piece with Jordan. If you missed it earlier this week, we had in Game Changers preview number two, we talked about Sarifi. and Jeff Varner. Plus, on Friday, I dropped episode number one of this series talking about Zeke Smith and Haley Ford. If you missed any of those, you can either subscribe to Rob has a podcast, go to robhasawebsite.com slash iTunes, or you can go anytime to robhasawebsite.com slash S34, which is the homepage for all of our Survivor 34 content. All right, so let's get into talking about Tony, and let me bring you my conversation with John Krause going through the wonder of what Tony did in Survivor Kageon. And also I'll add that my interview that I did with Tony that Steven and I recorded with him in the summer after Survivor Kageon aired, you'll hear us mention that in the John Krause section that I will embed that video, it was a YouTube video, I will embed and post a link to that in the post for this episode on robhasthewebsite.com. So here is my conversation with John Kraus. Can't tell you how much I've been looking forward to this. We are going to at long last be able to talk about the return of the great winner of Survivor Kagion coming back to Survivor after so it feels like many, many years. It's only been a couple, but Tony Vlacos is returning to Survivor and here to talk about the impact of Tony returning and what the game might have in store for Tony and vice versa. You know him from the So You Think You Can podcast competition here on Rob's Podcast. We also talked about the drunkest survivors last month.
1: Here is the great John Krause. John, how are you? Hey, I'm good. I'm a little disappointed. I thought you were about to talk about the triumphant return of me. Yes, uh, that You were talking about Tony. Too, yes. This
2: is huge.
0: I needed this. Yeah, that, that part is, for, he's talking about you.
1: Oh, okay. There we go. We're all even now.
0: John, I'm really pumped up to not only just talk about Tony. It's all about Tony as far as I'm concerned. It's the Tony Hour. Tony time, Team TV. And so really glad to have you here for
1: this conversation. Okay, why Tony? What? Why does Tony stand out to you? I mean, I think he's a standout player after, you know, what has it been, 16, 17 years of the show? And we've had like almost 600 people play the game. Uh, he's the one that almost stands out the most out of all of them. You know, some people will say, Russell Hans. I mean, there are lots of favorites, but he's the one who's got like the most different style of game. I think you said at one point, whether it was I think it was during uh, the evolution strategy that he was the hardest working survivor that ever played. He goes like a mile a minute and he never stops. He's like a train.
0: And there's been a lot of talk about the game changers and how laughable it is when we talk about some of the people that are on this list. But Tony, one of the people, absolutely, without a doubt, he changed the game.
1: Yeah, there's no I mean, there's no question there. When I was looking at that list, there was definitely a few times when I was like, what? And I'm not going to name names. But Tony's definitely one of the ones where I was like, OK, good. I'm ready for this. Plus, I'm, I'm just so excited to see how he chooses to play a second time, because it's like, is he going to re- try to repeat, you know, and play the same exact way? Or is he going to go in a completely different direction? Because with Tony, it could go either way. Could go either way. Could you quantify exactly how Tony did change the game? I mean, he showed, I mean, time and time again, we say anyone can win this game. Uh That's something that Jeff Probst really likes to hang his hat on. And, uh, you know, definitely we've had all kinds of different players. But if you look at pre-Tony, uh, we've really had very few different types of winners. We've had like sort of dominant strategists. We've had under the radar players and things like that. Uh But then Tony comes along and he plays this game that is really hard to quantify in and of itself. But, I mean, it's just completely different. He lies at a mile a minute. Uh, he's got all these catchphrases that he also, you know, spurts out at a mile a minute and uh, he, he backstabs more than maybe anyone ever has. But then at the end, he somehow was more likable than, you know, who was. It's interesting to me with Tony because
0: we have this era of Survivor, as Stephen Fishback has called it, the big moves era Of Survivor and really one of the other game changers, uh, Sierra, I feel like ends up being more of the poster child of the big moves era. But nobody made more big moves than Tony. And so you have that and sort of like at the forefront of how everybody is thinking about playing the game. And I feel like that the biggest way that Tony changed the game is sort of like in the aftermath of Tony. I find that people are much more afraid of the big moves. So you have these two things going on where people want to make big moves, but I think that people are also more
1: afraid of the person that makes the big moves because of Tony. I think that's a really good point. I mean, in the few seasons that we've seen since Tony played, uh, there's just like this shadow looming of like, oh my gosh, we got to worry about these people because Tony made it to the end and won.
0: I think it's going to be really interesting to see how now Tony deals with playing Survivor in a world where sort of as a byproduct of his success, people are going to be so fearful of another Tony coming along. And here is the genuine article of Tony.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, so like, you know, I think that obviously, uh, today we're going to talk about a lot of his competition and who he's going to be playing up against and the different game styles. But I think his biggest competition going into the season is like the memory of himself, the shadow of, of Tony, because I think that he could play a completely different game and people are still going to treat him like the Tony that they're expecting. And so uh, he's got a lot of work cut out for him. I think his biggest competition is himself.
0: John, what I'm hoping that you can do for us here today is to sort of separate at least like the Mandela effect of Tony of like the Tony that we have sort of like created in our minds versus the Tony that actually was on the screen for 13 or 14 episodes in survivor Kageon. So I know you went back and rewatched all of Kageon, were there any sort of differences that you saw in the
1: genuine article as opposed to how we've been thinking and talking about him over the last couple of years? Well, it's it's really interesting that you bring that up because I do think that he I stand by everything I said for the last several minutes. But rewatching the season for the first time since it aired, I was kind of like surprised that it wasn't more chaotic. It wasn't more like big and explosive and uh even though I think he is a survivor legend, like uh, watching him out on screen, it's not like nearly as legendary as I, I seem to remember. And I think a, a big effect of that is that we've all been talking about it and podcasting about it and tweeting about it for the last four years and comparing other players to him. Um, there's really I think that the biggest thing, if like if I had to break down like one single thing that he managed to do that is really crazy is that he backstabbed his own alliance like three separate times uh, and then still managed to get to the end and have them vote for him. Uh, At the end. And that's I think that is pretty legendary and that really shouldn't be understated. You know, they say fool me once. uh, Shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. But Tony backstabbed his alliance three times uh, and still got to go to the end.
0: Yeah. And he did it on all of the odd numbers. Then once they get past the merge, they merge at 11. And that's the vote where Sarah, who I'm sure we'll talk about Sarah, that she goes home at 11 and then he flips against his Alliance to vote out LJ at nine. He flips against them again to vote out Jeffra at seven and again at five to vote out Trish. But each time he's able to get back in their good graces enough to come back and ultimately get the win. Do you feel like that in the rewatching of it, I know that in the first run, Steven and I often would call Tony out for making bad moves and that's, you know, what do we know about anything I'm sure we'll discuss the legendary Tony Sleepover podcast that yeah. uh, Stephen and I did with him postseason. But did you find in the rewatching that you were disagreeing with the moves he was making or has time proven that Tony was a genius ahead of his time?
1: You know, uh, I like I had, you know, I just listened to uh, a lot of those podcasts for the first time. Uh, the first time I listened to uh, when I discovered RHAP, it, it was during the very, very end of season 30 and then the lead up to uh season 31. So I like uh, all those uh, that I listened to in preparation for this, it was the first time. So I'm, I'm looking at it from a little bit of a different angle and what from, a treat it must have you. been. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. It's, it's not only, I mean, those are all really, really great podcasts, uh, but it's fun to see, uh, how you, you and Steven have like grown and matured in your podcasting abilities. I yes. mean, you guys were good back then, but like you've even still come a long way since then. Oh, John, come on. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Uh, but anyway, what was your question? Yeah. No sucking kneecaps. Okay. So, uh, Tony, that when
0: you went back and watched, Tony, did you disagree with moves? Tony was making. Yeah. Okay.
1: Thank you. So, yeah, Tony, it's it's really hard uh, because you don't want to be uh, like results oriented or whatever. But it's still hard to watch and see sometimes because I think sometimes he does like do the backstabbing when he doesn't necessarily need to. I do think that he did probably need to get out LJ. I think that looking back on that a few years later, um, that probably was the right move at the right time. I don't know that he needed to get rid of Jeffra when he did. And I don't know that he needed to get rid of Trish when he did. I don't think she was going to win at the end. Uh, and I, you know, and they, at the time, you know, they all thought it was a final three too. So uh, I do think that his game is not perfect. And I do think that it still stands up to some criticism. But what the heck do we know? Tony proves everyone wrong time and time again, and we're no exception.
0: Now, I do think in the first run, Tony had some issues with his temperament, certainly that he got into it with survivors at a few points during the season, probably. And most notably with chaos cast yes what
1: did you think about tony's
0: temper in the rewatch
1: well i think you know uh if you really want to boil down everything that he does it boils down to one word which is impulsive and uh, i think that's something else that you know y- you guys talk all the time you know as recently as the second chances season about how hard it is it's easy on paper to say these are my mistakes i'm gonna go back and i'm gonna change those things even if tony is being that introspective it's much harder once you're out there to actually do that and it's the same in survivor as it is in real life. It's easy to sit down and say I screwed up and it's really hard to go I'm actually going to do things differently now and I think that impulsive behavior uh, is one that is especially hard to tamp down on. Yes. Uh, and that I think that comes out a lot in his his attitude and his um his behavior and sort of his outbursts.
0: Do you think that that's the type of thing in an all-star season, which is going to be more problematic?
1: Yes. I think that, you know, when we see we've had a handful of all-star seasons now, and if you include like the fans versus favorite seasons, we've had even more. Uh, And people are worried about the big players, even more so in all-star seasons. People are worried about the big move makers, even more in all-star seasons. And uh, again, it's all about living up to that reputation. People are going to be expecting Tony to behave a certain way, And uh, I think if he has any of these outbursts, that's going to, you know, like trigger a lot of memories uh, either, you know, from watching or if you're Sarah being on the season with him.
0: The one thing that I've always said, though, about Tony is that while he does make these mistakes because of his impulses, that he does play the game at like 200 miles per hour. And the beauty of his speed is that. Often he makes a mistake, but is able to move fast enough to repair the mistake. So the mistakes don't hurt him as much. Do you feel like, is that a fair assessment of things you saw from rewatching Kageon?
1: Yeah, and I think this is one of those things where we chalk it up to, I don't I don't want to talk about the edit too much, but I mean, you, you chalk it down to 39 days of real time versus a condensed, like what we see, which is less than 15 hours. Because uh, obviously the TV show, the producers, they want to show the big flashy moments. And Tony had plenty of them. But uh, he yeah, he's clearly able to to clean up those relationships. And I think that if he were that uh, impulsive all of the time, if he were that uh, confrontational 100 percent of the time that people would have no problem voting him off. Like we see it time and time again on other seasons with other players where uh, alliances and strategies aside, eventually it gets to be a point where it's like, this is just too much. I don't want to be around this person anymore. And so I think that uh, maybe we don't see it as much because it's not as super entertaining and flashy, but he's able to maintain those relationships and he's definitely able to have a quick turnaround on his his fights.
0: Now, so much was made during season 28 about the importance of the Tyler Perry idol and, and how integral it was to Tony's win. Are you able to separate what Tony was able to do versus what he was able to get away with because of the power of that Tyler Perry idol.
1: Yeah, so we've seen the Tyler Perry idol a few times before. Uh, obviously, it existed in a very similar sense in Panama and in the Cook Islands. And uh, I think the way that, especially like Yule played it, is he used it as sort of a bargaining chip, where he, uh, you know, he would talk about its its powers or he would imply its powers, and ultimately, what Yule did was he was honest about what the idol actually did. And while Tony did have this power, this idol, and I will go on the record saying that I don't really like the Tyler Perry idol and I, I really don't want it to come back. Uh, but the way Tony used it, I think it could have been any idol. It could have been a piece of, you know, flint in a bag. You know what I mean? Like his bag of tricks, I feel <laughs> like his had much more power than anything that was inside of the bag of tricks. Yeah, you know I mean, like uh, even when Tony came back and did uh, Mr. Survivor, he brought his bag of tricks and uh, he was using that uh, pretty well, even during that. So I think that um, the Tyler Perry idol is definitely overpowered and uh, but I don't think that that is why Tony won. And I do think that you can actually separate those two things because he kept making up stuff about it. He actually made it sound more powerful even than it was by saying that you could use it all the way into the final four, which just wasn't true. And so, you know, this season coming up, if he finds an idol, he could say, oh, I found another Tyler Perry idol or, or whatever. And, you know, it could be true and it could not be true. No one has any idea.
0: Yeah. One of the things that Steven and I talked about when we did our 49 laws of survivors, one of the laws is, you know, create compelling spectacles. And that was something that Tony always did. And his Frequent mentions of his bag of tricks. What's in the bag of tricks? What am I going to do? I might have something. I might not. We'll just have to wait and see what I have up my sleeve. I think often in Kagiyan, the other players were sort of paralyzed in fear about what he was going to do. Even this season, when he returns, even if he does not find an idol on day one, even if he doesn't have a spy shack built on day one, if people are targeting him, I don't think you can ever assume that he doesn't have the idol. And I think it's going to create problems uh, no matter who's coming for him.
1: Uh, Rob, are you familiar with the concept of learned helplessness? No. Is this, is this something that you came across? Like, I mean, in it your sounds schooling? something
0: that I, that like I, the way I live my life, but uh,
1: explain. Okay. So um, there was a scientist and I don't remember when this was, but his name was Seligman, Martin Seligman. Oh, this is in the sixties. Uh, he did experiments with dogs and it's stuff that no one would be allowed to do today. Cause he was like electrically shocking these dogs But he took one group of dogs and he put them in this box and he would electrocute them. But in that box, he would put like a button and the dogs, if they push the button, it would stop the shocks. And then in another separate room, he put other dogs and he would shock them and they couldn't control it. And after a while, these dogs developed what ended up being calling called learned helplessness. They eventually just sort of gave up and they just kind of laid there and they took it and they were confused. And even after the shock stopped, they were just sort of dazed and confused for uh, you know, days and weeks on end. They they it fundamentally psychologically changed these dogs. And it's something that uh we see in people. And uh I think that you can make some parallels to how Tony plays the game and this concept of learned helplessness. And it ties in with what you were saying about spectacles. Uh, Tony does all these crazy big things. He makes up stuff on the spot. He lies so and I won't say well necessarily, but uh, the ease at which he lies is something that we've never seen in in any other player. And it's at a million miles an hour and he has this bag of tricks and he has his impressions and he has his spy shack and he's got all these things. And it's like you lose all sense of control. If you're playing with Tony, I think he creates this uh, scenario where you don't know what's going on. And eventually you become like those dogs in that second box. And you're just like, I don't know. And you lose, like you become listless and you kind of lose any sense of power or control you thought you had.
0: You bring up a good point about the uh, lies that Tony tells in the game. I think that for the most part, I think it's usually easy to tell when a survivor player is lying. I don't think that there are many good liars in the game of survivor, but Tony, even if he's not the best liar, the speed at which he does it there's no sort of like stammering and like tripping over his words in his lies sarah asks him are you a cop no of course not i'm not a cop i'm I'm a construction worker you know he just doesn't even think about the lie he's just is able to immediately spit it out and go with
1: it yeah first of all i want to call you out because i think that we're forgetting that Absolutely. Definitely. The best liar in Survivor history is Judd from Survivor Guatemala. <laughs> of course. But of second course. to him. What's that saying? Uh, yeah, we have Tony. Yes, uh, And yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. Uh, the lies. It's it, they, it's not like they, they're not lies to him. They're it's just more stuff that he says. And you can never predict whether he's going to lie or not. And on paper or on our couches, as it is, uh, we want to say, well, if he always lies or if you can't tell if he's lying or not, then just vote vote him out. But I think when you're confronted with a person like that in real life, you just don't know how to handle that person because they tell the truth just as often and they don't have a tell. You know what I mean? I can't imagine what it would be like to play poker with Tony because he would be bluffing so much, but you'd never know it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I sense if you were going to sit down at the poker table with
0: Tony, He would play every single hand. I don't think that he could just sit back and wait
1: for a playable hand to show up. I think he'd just be in on everything. Yeah, that's true. And I think that goes back to a thing that you and uh, Josh talked about in the evolution of strategy, where if he played the game 100 times, he would probably play a very hard fought game 100 times. And I don't know that he would win even 50 of them. Uh, You know what I mean? And that's not good if you played 100 times. Well, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a statistician, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but I guess my point is, is just that, like, uh, I don't think that takes away from how good of a player he is or how amazing his win was in Kagayan. And I don't want to necessarily ma- want to say he has no chance of winning this time around, but I just think that that's his style of play, whether it's this theoretical card game we're talking about or whether it's survivor, like he's going to play every single hand and he's just going to play it as hard as he can. Yeah, And uh, I I don't know that he's guaranteed to win every one of them.
0: I believe he has no chance of winning. And I'm still thinking of making him my winner pick for the season because you just can never count this guy out. You can't bet yeah. against him.
1: It's that learned helplessness thing again. You're just like, I know for a fact he's not going to win, but it's like I know he he's can't gonna get win. out
0: of this. But I've felt that way before about him. So I can't wait to see what he's going to come up with. All right. So just going back to Kageon, was there anything else that you noticed on your rewatch that you feel like is important to establish before we see him play again?
1: Um. Yeah, let me see. I, I took a lot of notes, probably more than I needed to take. Um. But I think that uh, people like to talk about uh, the spy shack a lot mm-hmm. and it's definitely a very funny thing and it's definitely a very like sound clippy uh, thing, but it's worth bringing up. That's a strategy that, we haven't really seen before. We've had some people hiding in bushes or trees. We've had some people stumbling across, um, you know, conversations. I think actually probably the first time this was shown on the, on the series, uh, funnily enough was with Sandra Mm -hmm. in Pearl Islands. She stumbled across a conversation. Um, but the idea of going ahead and building the shelter with a secret room inside, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't know if that ended up bearing fruit in the end. Like, I don't know if that helped him win. I don't know if he got any information, Mm -hmm. uh, that, necessarily mattered but i think that that is worth bringing up in terms of just a strategy just the idea of like here's something that we've not seen in 27 seasons uh consciously done and uh i'm gonna go for it and see what happens and it provides hours if not years of entertainment but also you know it's it shows that he's willing to try stuff that no one's done before and i think that that might bode well for his his second time out he might try stuff That no second time player has ever tried before.
0: It's a real window into what he was able to come up with just thinking about playing Survivor once. And who knows for how long he sort of got the call. Okay, you're going to go on Survivor. And he was thinking about stuff now with 39 days full of experience and sort of two years to two plus years to mentally prep for what he would do when he was coming back. You can't even fathom what might be kicking around his beautiful mind.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, some other things I want to bring up on my notes here is he made lots of swears. He not only like promised on his badge that he did mm-hmm. lots of things, but he obviously you know famously swore on some dead relatives of his, his, his dead father. Um, and that's not something I mean, that's something we've seen before. That's not necessarily something that he invented or game changed. But that really bit a lot of people in the back. Uh, probably most famously, way back in Vanuatu with uh, Twyla. Twyla. Yeah. And I don't. This is. I don't have an answer to this, and I don't even know if you do. But I'd love to hear some of your thoughts about, like, why do you think that that didn't work for Twyla, and why did it work for Tony, or why did it not end his game for him? Is it because it's been several years? The difference between nine and twenty-eight is just that many years, or is there something about Tony's play or his personality where? He's able to do stuff like that and get away with it.
0: Well, just a quick thing about that that Twila, I believe, swears on the life of her living son. Johnny Fairplay swears on his dead grandma who's actually alive. I believe Tony swears on his father's grave, who is actually died. I don't know if there's any yeah. sort of difference between like they they were a living relative and then you swore on a person who was alive. Uh, If that changes anything. But I just think it's the Tony is is so good. And, you know, he had this relationship uh, with Trish in the first place where even though she was upset about him, it just comes down to, you know, who he was sitting up against in the final two where Trish couldn't give her vote to woo in that spot. So I think it's just really situational more so than. Tony was able to make that you know that strategy worked for Tony as opposed to it wouldn't work for somebody else.
1: Yeah, and then something else maybe, uh, and this is just me shooting out a weather balloon here, but uh, like I remember Twyla in her final Tribal Council really trying to backpedal on that or try to justify it, whereas I believe Trish just says, "Is you know a million dollars worth you know the lives of all the people you swore on." And Tony just says yes. He yeah. has a one word answer. Trish and- destroyed him. She
0: like leveled yeah. him in that Final Tribal Council. And if I recall, Tony's Final Tribal Council is actually probably one of the weaker things uh, about his game. I don't think that he was particularly great in the Final Tribal Council in Kaguyan.
1: Yeah, I remember uh, way back, and here's another confession, uh, but way back when this aired originally, I was like not a big Tony fan. I liked uh, a lot of his funnier stuff. But I maybe it's because I wasn't listening to enough podcasts and learning about the evolution of strategy. But like at the time, I was just like this Tony guy needs to chill out. There's no way he's going to win. I wasn't a huge Wu fan, but I was definitely like when it was airing live, I was sure that Wu was going to win once it got down to the final two. And uh, so I was really shocked when when Tony when Tony won. And I think that his tribal council definitely made it even more surprising. But now he has you fully converted. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's, time makes you re, you know, you look at things differently. 2020 definitely putting hundreds of hours of time into podcasting or listening to podcasts, rather. Uh, you know, you, you think about things differently. And uh, I've recently been rewatching the series, uh, you know, ever since they put everything up on CBS All Access. So I've been working my way through like the whole series again. And a lot of those seasons I hadn't rewatched and, uh, having it all in like a shorter period of time. In my slightly older 26-year-old mind, (laughs) uh, I think that definitely uh, I'm I'm convinced. I'm a convert. Hashtag Team TV. Team TV. So
0: going back to Tony coming out of his first season, since Tony won the game, I feel like all we talked about is the point when Tony returns to the game. I think he's never made it a secret that he wants to come back. It was just going to be the right spot What sort of things has Tony said about uh, coming back to the game
1: in interviews? Uh, All right. So in terms of interviews, he said a lot of things. Surprisingly, (laughs) I I do think that he's probably a different person in in real life uh, from in the game. He seems like a very good person. You know what I mean? But something that I do think crosses over between real life and Survivor is his ability to talk at a mile a minute and Mm -hmm. to... Come up with viable, uh, what do you want to call them, excuses or reasons for anything. Mm-hmm. Uh again, I hadn't originally heard that sleepover podcast, but I did listen to it over the last week. <laughs> and um, man, like you and Steven do not go light on him. I mean, it's all in light fun, but like you call him out on several of his questionable moves, mm-hmm. and it's like he doesn't even need to think about it. Like he has an answer instantly, and he's able to justify every single thing that he does. And uh, I think that's really worth bringing up is just that um he, in his mind, or at least in what he tells people in, is in his mind, uh, you know, he played a perfect game. I know that in that sleepover podcast, he compares himself to Kim Sprodlin Kim Sprodlin. a number of times. Yes. And he's like, why, why won't you guys say that I'm, I'm like the same as her. Yeah. And you know, he, he claims that, that he was edited differently and he made no more or no fewer mistakes than she did. And, uh, That was just the editors wanted to make him look like he didn't know what he was doing or whatever.
0: Which I do disagree with. I, I don't believe that that Kim made as many mistakes as Tony did. In his game, it was just like that. Tony's game, you know, or I should say, in Kim's game, there's sort of like no wasted energy. You know, everything that she did, you know, it either you know went well or she didn't do it. Whereas Tony, you know, he drove you know ten thousand miles to get to a place
1: that was two thousand miles away. Right. Absolutely. I. I. Yeah. I mean, and I. You. You brought this up on the sleepover podcast, but. Uh, A lot of people, a lot of fans of whether it's uh, Big Brother or whether it's Survivor, you know, some people like to say, oh, the editors are doing this or that or during Big Brother because it's live. People will say, oh, the editor or the producers want this person to win, Uh, like hashtag Helen was pushed or whatever. And uh, yeah, and I I think and it's not like I want to say it's just a TV show, but I think that if there's interesting content there, then they're going to show it. And you know what do the producers care at the end of the day who wins the game i think if the producers really cared who wins and who loses uh and if they really cared how they show their their players enough to not show interesting content Mm -hmm. um you know they would have edited brian heidek differently you know what i mean so uh i disagree with tony there uh not to say that his game is awful but uh
0: Yes, he wanted the edit like Kim Sprodlin and uh, he didn't get it. And and yeah, I couldn't agree with you more where the editors and the producers, they're not going to leave gold on the cutting room floor and they're not going to only put in the gold that makes Tony look good. They were going to basically show everything that happened out there. That was interesting. And that's one of the reasons why I think Tony is so adored now. I do think that Tony eventually became revered in the way that he wanted to be during the season. I think that he was always upset during the airing of Survivor Kageon. Why don't more people love me? Why aren't people falling over me like they are with some of the more legendary, iconic players? I gave you so much, and I really do think it took Tony going away from the show for a couple of years for him to eventually be revered in the way that he wanted to be while the show was airing
1: yeah well i mean we see this time and time again and i don't know you know your opinions on every single winner i mean i do because you rank them frequently <laughs> but uh you know like i would, when i watch the seasons live i'm not always the biggest fan of who ends up winning but after a few months and i think about it and i you know maybe i re listen to a podcast here or there like i think like You know, you once you know who the person who is that wins and you can go back and look at their game, you look at it in a fresh light. And instead of saying this person has no chance or this is a dumb move, you can say this is a move that helped that person get to the end or this is a move that maybe hindered them a little bit. And so I think that helps. And I do think all of his sort of catchphrases, whether he thought about them too much or not, uh, those definitely helped. And those have really become part of the zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think he's entering this game um, a much bigger, like people are going to be rooting for him way more than they probably were like at the merge during Kagayan, like right before that or something.
0: Okay. Was there anything that Tony said in that sleepover podcast or anything we did with Mr. Survivor about how he might play if he did come back again?
1: You know, it does come up uh, in the Sleepover podcast a little bit, but he doesn't. Again, it's Tony. What are you going to do? He doesn't give like a ton of straight answers. (laughs) You know what I mean? He says that he, you know, he says he'll do whatever it takes. He says it's going to be, you know, he's going to he just, you know, he says he's going to do whatever it takes to get to the end and and win. And he's going to bring his bag of tricks back and all those things. He doesn't give any straight answers. And I would argue that we maybe don't even want that from Tony. Well, even if he did give us a
0: straight answer in 2014, I'm sure it would change a million times between then and when he ultimately did go to play the game. So how do you think Tony is going to approach this second time around or is it impossible to even fathom a guess?
1: Well, for the purposes of having this podcast be worth anyone's time, I think it's probably worth theorizing. But I will say that it's it's impossible to have like any amount of certainty going in to, to how he will play again. I think it's equally likely that he tries to repeat everything he does, and it's equally likely that he plays a completely different game. And we're like, who is this guy?
0: Do you think he's capable of playing a completely different game? Yeah,
1: yes, I do. I, I think I think so. Uh, I think that he is the amount of unpredictability that he has. Uh, I, mean, I guess it depends on what aspects we're talking about. The whole idea of him playing at like a mile a minute. And like, uh, I don't think he's going to have, you know, any. he think he's probably going to have trouble sleeping again. He's going to be up all night every night, like thinking about every move he's made. Uh, I think that he'll probably do a lot of that again. I do. Like I said earlier, I think he's going to battle with a lot of the impulsiveness, but I think that he's capable of keeping his mouth shut. Maybe a little bit more. He is a little bit older now. He's a little bit wiser. He's got uh, his, his, you know, his kids are a little bit older. So, you know, his life experiences may have molded him a little bit more. It's not like, you know, where we have Rupert going out back to back or, where, you know, we have uh, like James going out back to back in China and then fans versus favorites. Like he has had a little bit of time, To think about what he did and to uh, also observe, you know, these other players playing.
0: Are there any other misconceptions about Tony that you think it's important to clarify before we talk about the people that he's going to be playing
1: with? Yeah, I I mean, we kind of covered this briefly, but I do want to underline one last time before we move on that uh, we remember him for a lot of the explosive things that he's done, whether it's to the camera or with his other tri mates, you know, obviously... The the llama talk stuff will live down in infamy. But Tony is capable and you can see it as you go back and watch Kageyan of like actually getting along and hanging out with people Uh, up until the point that he backstabbed Trish. They got along very, very well. They had a very tight relationship. Uh, If you look pre pre merge, like the whole first half of the game, uh, Tony's not invisible. But a lot of what you see him doing, especially for the first four episodes, because Apari doesn't lose an immunity. You know, a lot of what you see him doing is more entertainment based stuff. He takes really takes a back seat early on, and uh, he's just like a team player. Like he is a hard worker. He helps build that that camp, uh, and he puts his little trapdoors in. You know, he uh, never wins an individual immunity, but he does contribute quite a bit in those tribe immunity challenges. So uh, I don't know how much stuff like this will contribute in an all star season because it's an all star season. Mm-hmm. But like he is a very well rounded individual when it comes to things like. Uh, the strength and the participation and the helping around camp and even like a lot of the social aspects, we remember because they're, yeah, he does work hard. Uh, and then we remember the explosive things because they're more entertaining and more memorable, but there are just as many moments where he's like capable of being a well put together person. That's enjoyable to be around. So we can't talk about this
0: cast of season 34 as it pertains to Tony without getting into the Sarah Lacina of it all who was one of Tony's nemesis from the season uh you know with Cass uh, with a couple of other people that uh Tony did not get along with here she is back and to me this almost seems like a Philip and Francesca type oh, absolutely type deal where it's with all due respect to the great Sarah Lucina, it's hard to imagine a scenario where she is back for another season that does not somehow involve Tony.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't want to throw any shade at her or whoever covers the Sarah Lacina Game Changer podcast, but I'm very curious to listen to that because I I really, obviously I just watched her season and I really can't see where she uh, did any game changing. And I do think that she was brought back largely uh, because of her conflict with Tony.
0: So how do you think that Tony Is going to handle this because I don't think that this is necessarily a good thing for Tony to have somebody who has been a past antagonist of his out there on the island with him. I think that Tony needs to be 100% focused on the task at hand, and I think that this is going to be a major distraction for him.
1: Yeah, I'll start off by saying that what I want to have happen is that like day one, especially if they're on like the same tribe as one another, is that they get out there and he goes up to her and he's like, listen, I'm not a cop and I never was a cop. Like and just like her head explodes and then she's evacuated from the game. Yeah, that's what I want to have. happen. All right. So based on the information that we have so far,
0: so she's not going to be on the same starting tribe as Tony okay. is that a missed opportunity for you do you feel
1: like would you want to see them on the same starting tribe i think that it helps both of them get farther in the game if they're not on the same starting tribe yeah and while it would be fun to see that initial like you know day 1 minute 1 at the camp uh i think that if that helps them get a little bit farther if Tony's able to make it far enough to they get to a swap or they get to a merge and if Sarah's still around i think that um, after you starve them for a few weeks And, uh, you know, you have that severe survivor paranoia building up, then throwing them together might be um, like it might pay bigger dividends farther down the road. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we'll see. I definitely am slightly disappointed because we don't know that both of them will make it that far.
0: So to me, one of the most compelling storylines in this game is how are Tony and Sandra going to get along? I've talked about how Sandra in her previous seasons, she had a very antagonistic relationship with Johnny Fairplay. She had a very antagonistic relationship with Russell Hance. Tony certainly feels like that he could fit into that lineage of people that Sandra is going to get into huge
1: fights with. Do you think, is there any chance Tony and Sandra could get on the same page? You can already hear now Sandra being like, Tony is an ass. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I really want them to, because I'm a big fan of both of them. And I honestly think uh, all of the things being equal that, They are each other's best hopes, Mm -hmm. because, you know, if 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 we can pick one person right now with a bigger, quote unquote, target on their back, it's got to be Sandra. And so I think that Tony can use her as not a meat shield, because that's not really how Sandra plays, but as some sort of a brain shield or like a, a strategy shield. And I think she could use him the same way. I mean, if they if they are able to and I know that was your question and I'm dodging it. But if they were able to work together, I think that that would be to their best interests, because if they're working against each other, I think we're going to have a situation where, you know, Zeke and David go after each other and then they both end up losing. Mm hmm. Yeah. Although David obviously made it quite a bit farther. <laughs>
0: the thing about Sandra is that she will call people out on their crap in the game. And Tony does not handle that well. So I feel like that this could be a toxic relationship as much as I think we all want them both to make deep runs into this game. I think that's going to be a very contentious relationship between those two.
1: Yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean, they both have a history of, like you said, being confrontational. Uh, They can both be loud, uh, you know, and uh, I think that unfortunately, uh, well, I don't know. It depends on, I guess what you watch survivor for But I think that if you want both of them to make it to the end of the game, I think that unfortunately, Uh, it's much more likely that they're going to uh, butt heads. What about Malcolm and Tony? Do you think
0: that that is going to be something that is going to be a positive relationship for Team TV?
1: I don't know. You know, it's once again, it's been a couple years since Malcolm has has played the game. Um, Malcolm has the benefit of having played two times, Mm -hmm. uh, but... I, I, I don't know, I, I guess it could go either way. Um, what what do you, what do you think is gonna happen? like what what is your prediction?
0: You know, going back to Kara Malcolm had really zero patience for Philip and anything that he was doing to get camera time. If he sees Tony in the same way, if for whatever reason, Malk is not as amused by Tony as we all are. I could see Malcolm not wanting to deal with this again.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I would say, and I can see how those comparisons could definitely be made, but Tony is not the same person as the specialist. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? I think that both of them, uh, definitely like, uh, the camera flocks to both of them, but I think it's for different reasons and especially, uh, looking, uh, Towards uh, Tony, I think it's much more natural. I think a lot of that stuff he says, and you know, who knows? You, you you'll never get a straight answer out of him. But I think a lot of those quotable things that we talk about, like a lot of that, is just stuff that he came off at the top of his head during one of his confessionals, where he's clearly just talking about. You know, something else. I don't think that uh, Tony went into any confessionals being like, oh, this is going to be a good hashtag or this is going to be something that, you know, Rob is going to talk about for years to come. Uh, Whereas I don't know if we can say the same thing about Philip. You know, I think that especially in his second time out, um, Philip was very keenly aware of the fact that he was on TV. And uh, much to the chagrin of many people, including myself, if I'm being honest, like he was very concerned with like, let's make everyone have their nicknames. People like the nicknames. Let's make sure everyone has this going on. Everyone's in, uh, you know, spies are us or whatever, because that's what people want. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think that's almost like a, a side effect with with Tony. Yeah, Despite the fact that he, they both have an R.S. They both have like a cop's (laughs) (laughs) R.S. Yes, not
0: uh, R.S. Bushkowskis. But going back to the Tony and Malcolm relationship, I actually, if I had a gun to my head, I feel like that this is going to be a positive relationship. I think that Malcolm is going to realize that just like he was trying to do back in Karamoan, like I got to keep Eddie around. I got to keep Reynolds around because... These are guys who are other physical threats. Tony certainly fits the bill for a physical threat. Malcolm, if you go back to Survivor Philippines, wanted to keep Russell Swan uh, around in the beginning of the game, said, "Okay, let's let this guy think he's the leader. Let's let him be the figurehead. So I think that Malcolm is very comfortable in that role of being sort of like the beta male of the tribe. I don't think that Malcolm wants to be the person who's out in front being the leader of his group. So I think that if Tony wants to assume that mantle, I think that Malcolm very gladly will let Tony be out in front and take all those bullets.
1: Yeah. I mean, I could see that coming into this season where Tony uh, sort of has this shining role as, as the leader, maybe uh, if he gets thrust into that position because of expectations, but that actually brings up another thing that we didn't cover way back in way back in Kageyan. But that season opens with uh, I don't know if you want to call it a twist, but where Jeff makes all three tribes pick a leader Mm -hmm. and then the leader has to pick a loser, basically. And then, you know, ultimately, those losers uh, get to go to tribal or they get to go to camp first. Right. Uh, I, I believe, and I should know this better because I literally just watched it, but I think Sarah gets picked <laughs> yeah, Sarah, as the leader. Yeah, Sarah, and then she picks Trish to go back. Yeah, she and- picks Trish. Mm-hmm. So, Tony, you know, did not jump forward to be the leader in that situation, nor was he thrust forward. It wasn't like Cliff was like, this guy's the leader. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, not and I don't know if that's anything to go off of, but in the most salient example of someone being chosen as a leader of a tribe, Tony was not that person, nor did he try to be. Well, Perhaps
0: the person who wants to assume that leadership role in this group uh, could be none other than Troy Zan. Do you think that
1: Troy Zan will be able to uh, work with Tony and will Tony want to work with Troy? Um, I think if you look at Tony's game, just in terms of the personality types of the people that he worked with uh, voluntarily or he worked the best with, uh, you know, we keep going back to Trish, you know, in the very, very end game, you know, Tony had his woo, his weasel woo. But uh, it was really Tony and Trish. So if we're gonna base previous gameplay on on future gameplay, I think Tony is going to pick, um, I mean not to say it's specifically gonna be a Trish type player, but Tony's gonna pick someone who he uh, is perhaps like a similar age with and a similar uh, background with, who you know he can trust uh, to go sort of all the way with and then ultimately backstab. And I don't know if, if Troy Zan is gonna be the Trish this season. I both I know they both have the same sound at the beginning of their name. But I think that their uh, personalities don't go much farther than that.
0: I don't think that Tony looks at the males who are his peers in terms of, you know, age and leadership. I don't think he likes that. I think that he probably if it was like a younger person like he did with Wu And with Spencer, I think he doesn't mind having some of the younger guys around working with him, but I don't see him being able to function with another elder statesman in the group. Oh, there you go.
1: Yeah. uh, I mean, like, like, let's look at the people that Tony targets, uh, especially early on in the Braun tribe. You know, he goes immediately after Cliff because everyone likes him and because he's very strong and because he is, you know, very tall. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's specifically because he was tall, but you know what I mean? Like Cliff is an obvious target. And then he wants to go after Wu because everyone has a good relationship with Wu. Uh, and then he ends up sort of teaming up with Wu at the end. He has a really good relationship for a minute with LJ, you know, and then right after they merge, he's like, we got to get rid of LJ. So even um, except for Trish, uh, a lot of the people he aligns with, ultimately, he's like, we can't have this person. Uh, you know, at one point he says LJ is a younger version of himself. He sees himself in LJ.
0: It's like I'm looking into a mirror, I look at LJ. Yeah,
1: and so and that's I think I mean, if you wanted to go down a rabbit hole of what goes on inside of Tony's head, but it seems like he's able to sort of like empathize and see similarities between himself and other people. And as soon as he sees himself and other people, he's like, We gotta get rid of that person. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he wants to get rid of Sarah. Uh, because she's a cop and he's a cop <laughs> you know what i mean so uh he might look at Troyzan and if you, to use your terms uh, another elder statesman and be like gotta get rid of Troyzan uh mm-hmm. because maybe he sees himself in him
0: now tony is on a tribe with a bunch of the uh younger female players uh with aubrey uh with sierra easton with Haley, with michaela Do you think that this is a good thing or a bad thing for Tony to be with so many young women?
1: Uh, Tony had a pretty good relationship with the young women on Kageyan. He didn't really have any problems with Jeffra. They worked pretty well together up until he decided he didn't want her in the game anymore. You know, Lindsay was obviously someone who couldn't handle the relationships and ultimately quit, but it wasn't really her problem with Tony. She had a problem with Trish. So, um, Morgan and Tony didn't get along great. No, uh, he called her a pillow. I believe at one point, (laughs) yeah which is which is funny he did a good callback in the sleepover party by calling her a pillow again which is funny because you guys are having a sleepover yes <laughs> but you know again this is an all-star season like which of these young women are going to be a morgan you know what i mean will we ever see the likes of someone like a no. morgan ever again no so never. you're right that's a good point but i i think that you know these are all uh these young female players will be playing with they're all hard workers they're all there to play the game Uh, So I don't think that it will I think he will be probably just as likely or even more likely to work with them than he would be with like another older man.
0: If Tony has success in this game, I think a huge cog for him is going to be this beast mode cowboy. I am eyeing him to be the new
1: woo to Tony. Oh, yeah, sure. There's a lot of similarities between woo and Caleb. Do you think that Tony will be able to take the young beast mode cowboy under his wing? As long as Caleb learns that you need to drink water, I think that we probably could see them working together. Because I, yeah, you're right. I mean, early on in Kageyan, uh Tony was wary of Wu. Too many W words there, but he was wary of Wu. Uh, and so maybe we could see a similar thing with Caleb, especially if Caleb comes out and he's big and strong and wants to wants to be the Wu. Yeah, I could see them working together because you know ultimately he's going to need someone who's loyal by his side. And I, you know, I like Caleb one million percent more on survivor than i did on big brother but ultimately from what we saw of him on survivor they played a he played a very similar style of game where he like he has his people and those are his people and i think that's the kind of person that tony is going to be able to wrap around his finger because and no insult to to caleb here but like i don't know if caleb is going to be able to like figure tony out you know what i mean like he's not going to be like i'm being lied to here i can't trust tony i need to get rid of tony before tony gets rid of me like, that's not going to happen. Like, if he teams up with Caleb, it's definitely going to be a situation where Caleb's like, that's my alliance. Right. I'm sticking with my alliance. And if you
0: and I had a draft of, OK, here are the 20 people from this season and we were drafting for people by percentage chance they have not seen Survivor Kageyan, I think that Beast Mode Cowboy is the number one pick on the board. And I don't think it's close.
1: Absolutely. I I, uh, I don't remember exactly. I'm sure he brought it up during one of his interviews with, with you but I don't know the the path. I'm pretty sure that when Caleb was on Big Brother, he got off of that, and then someone was like, "You should be on Survivor. It's like Big Brother but tougher," you know. And he was like, "Okay." I don't know that he. If I had to pick one person who was like, you know, likely to have never seen any seasons of Survivor, <laughs> it would be it would be Caleb. And yeah. I don't think that's a bad thing, but <laughs> yeah yeah
0: look it's not you don't have to see every season of survivor but you know it's, it's good if you knew all the rules and i'm not sure necessarily if that's the case with the beast mode cowboy if only we had chrissy over here to read the rule book to <laughs> yeah i think that's going to go over a lot of people's heads uh yeah i'm so, sorry all right so then a long time ago jeff varner visited the big brother
1: house that's you true think, yeah do you think that he could potentially work with tony no i don't see that happening Uh, Jeff Varner was, I'm so glad he's coming back. Once again, I, I think we can maybe take issues about game changer title for Jeff Varner, Mm -hmm. but he was so great on, uh, way back in survivor Australia. And I think he got really kind of screwed over by a couple things that were completely out of his control. And, uh, it was so great to see him on second chances again, where on second chances, I think that he, everything that went wrong and the reason he got voted out was completely within his control and uh, I'm not sure if Jeff Varner is going to have the wherewithal to make it too deep into the game. And uh, I could see him, you know, not getting along with Tony just the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it? Him and Tasha, for some reason, during second chances, just suddenly didn't like each other anymore. And that was kind of it. And he was just done with Tasha. Yeah, maybe they could bond over that. That's a good point. That's yeah. also a good point. Yeah, maybe, you know, that would be really interesting if we saw um, people bonding and I wonder if this would even make the show. But if the people bonding over like shared experiences with previous players who aren't on the season, like, you know, we have people like JT and Suri like they've played together before. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like Jeff Varner and Tony have both played with Cass.
0: Oh, my God. You know who really gets under my skin? Tasha. She didn't vote for me. She voted for Wu. I was like, oh, I know. Right.
1: Yeah, yeah. exactly.
0: (laughs) That uh, could be something to watch. But I do think that going back to what you're saying, I think there's a very astute observation about when Tony recognizes something about himself in a person. He wants to target them. I do think that he's going to see that that little bit of mischief in Jeff Varner's eyes. And I think that he's going to be wary.
1: Yeah, I'm actually right now, uh, spoiler alert, I'm looking at like a list of the cast and uh, the picture they have for Jeff Runner, You can see that mischievous look in his <laughs> eye like it's just yeah. right there.
0: Uh, just going back to I know I lumped them all together in a group of Aubrey, Sierra, Haley and Michaela. And that's probably a disservice to all of them. But I just didn't see any sort of things that jumped out to me in terms of working with or working uh,
1: against Tony. Do you have anything specific with that group of four? not really. I think I mean I'm very excited to see Michaela play again. I think that she got cut down a little too fast. I think that uh and Michaela got, you know, she got voted out just very recently in Millennials vs Gen X. Mm-hmm. It was for playing too hard, right? Like she did that thing with the rocks and it freaked a couple people out, notably uh Will and uh Jay, and uh they were like she's too smart for us. I think maybe at least early on, uh, I could see Tony and Michaela working together because they seem to have a similar Think of lots of scenarios ahead of time and play out the scenarios like at a at a mile a minute. Eventually, maybe he'll again see a little bit of himself in the way she plays and might have to burn her. But early on, I could see them almost bonding together over that style of gameplay where they're always thinking and always strategizing. OK, John, can Tony win this game? I think that Tony could win this game. I'll just say it right now. We've seen crazier things happen. There have been players on all star seasons and otherwise who we say they have no chance of winning this game. Uh, I mean, to be honest, during Tony's entire first season, we said he had no chance of winning this game and then he won. You know, Tony, in a lot of ways, you can't make predictions about him. So if there was one person who had zero percent chance of winning the game, that was definitely going to win the game. I would put my money on on him. Mm-hmm. Uh I couldn't articulate, despite the fact that we've just spent an hour articulating uh, and trying to figure it out. I couldn't say how he's going to do it, and he definitely has an uphill battle. He probably has the hardest job out of anyone, next to maybe uh, Sandra. But you know who knows? Funny and crazy things happen, uh, and what, that's one of the reasons I liked second chances so much. Is like when you get this many people who not only are hard players, uh, who but they also have something to prove. All of these people have something to prove, whether it's their second chance or their third chance or even their fourth chance. Uh, a lot of these people like they're here to play. They want to win. And um, I think that unpredictable things are going to happen when you put 20 people in, a, in, you know, on a beach and they all are terrified of each other and they all want to outplay each other harder than anyone else has ever outplayed each other before. You know, who knows what will happen? Who knows? Who knows? From your lips to God's ears.
0: Uh, and may Tony. And team TV enjoy great success in
1: season 34. John, is there a hashtag for Tony's return? I mean, there's the classic Team TV that has, you know, lasted him all of these years. I kind of want to have something new. Uh, I don't know if there's something we could do with, like, game changers, like change the TV or change Team TV or something like that. Change Team TV makes it sound like we want to uh, make it change different. the channel. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's always the classic, like, Team TV 2 or something like that. Okay, let's do that. Is it T-O-O or, T- or the number two? I like the number two. It gives you more characters earlier on so you can actually get your point across. <laughs> okay, Team TV 2 it is, and I'm so pumped up. John, thank
0: you so much for uh, this deep dive into Tony's game. I know we barely scratched the surface of what makes him tick, but I really do appreciate uh, just sort of like the quick overview of everything Tony.
1: Yes, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. I'm so glad you reached out to me. I uh, could talk about Survivor and I could talk about Team TV for hours and hours and ends. Uh, so even getting one in has been a pleasure. Okay.
0: All right. Well, you could follow John on Twitter. He is at John Krause. That's J-O-N-K-R-A-U-S-E. And John, uh pleasure talking to you. Hope to do it again soon.
1: Yeah, can't wait. All right, everybody. There
0: you have it. John Krause talking about Tony Vlacos. Can't believe we are inside of Three weeks to seeing the return of Tony to Survivor. Now, before we get to Jordan, I also want to mention that if you would like to dive deeper into Tony's game or any of the people returning this season, the evolution of strategy is there at your disposal. We had a very fun conversation, Josh Wiggler and I, some time ago about Survivor Kageon. I thought we did a really great job with that chapter in particular. If you want to check out any of those chapters a la carte, or in the 10 volume sets that we have them. That's all there for you at evolutionofstrategy.com. And of course, our first chapter, all about Survivor Borneo, is completely free at evolutionofstrategy.com. All right, let's bring in Jordan Kalish. I haven't talked to him since back in December on the podcast, but it's nice to get him on here during the off season to go through a list that he made of his 11 favorite things about Tony. We pulled a lot of clips for this interview I hope you enjoy it. Here's Jordan. All right. So now that we talked through Tony's game and Tony's strategy back in Kagion with John, we're going to switch gears a little bit to bring in one of our most unapologetic Tony supporters. You hear him every week during the survivor season. When we go back through survivor history and fittingly, we are going to go back through Tony's history on survivor today with this man, the great Jordan Kalish. Jordan, how are you? I'm good. How's it going, Rob? It's been a while. Yes, it's been a while. It's been a minute. And I'm excited to talk about Tony here with you because Tony is one of our few people here that deserved uh, a second helping. So we're going to keep the Tony conversation going. And what exactly are we going to be talking
3: about? All right. This is this is a list that I compiled and I'm calling the list the 11 things I love about Tony. 11 things you love about Tony. So could you set up what sort
0: of things made this list?
3: All right. So the type of things that I looked for, obviously, some of his funniest moments. Tony, Tony to me is one of the funniest Survivor contestants in the history of the show. He's also, you know, he, he, some of his things from the uh, the game that he played also did make the list. But I focus mainly on the uh, the character building scenes. Okay,
0: so we're gonna go through everything. Some of the uh, most fun Tony stuff
3: that there is in Kaguya. Now, how did you sort this? Is this in chronological order? No, this is actually... Uh, so I have 11 different things on my list. Uh, each thing on the list actually has various scenes and various clips from uh, from different episodes in the show. So it's not chronological. Uh, it is based on... I, I guess it's sorted by theme. Okay.
0: All okay. right. So your, this is your list. So... Take us through this
3: walk down Vlacos Lane. All right. Number 11. By the way, the reason there's 11 things on the list, I was trying to narrow it down to 10. Originally, I had 18, but I was able to combine some things and take some things out, and it turned into 11 different categories. And the first thing on my list is the is Tony's use of nicknames and the mocking of other contestants on the show.
0: How did Tony use that to success in Cagayan?
3: Well, we have a we have a little uh, clip to play for you, and this is uh, this is from episode seven where uh, Morgan was voted out. So let's uh, let's play that clip to set to set it up, and then we'll talk about some of the other uh, the other nicknames and and different things that he said while he was on there.
2: You have two different alliances just looking for an idol at the same time. Let's look here, Morgan. You know it's bad when Morgan, the girl that you can't tell if she's a pillow or a person because she doesn't do anything,
3: you know it's serious when she's up on her ass and she's looking for this idol. And that was that was during the the Mad Idol Hunt or the Mad Treasure Hunt where uh, Spencer ended up finding the idol. But uh Tony has that great line there and he was really zinging people throughout the season. Um he had a lot of different nicknames for his fellow contestants and in, in the first episode he he was talking about Cliff and Woo. and he actually coined the uh, the term Weasel Woo. and he also had a uh, Useless Cliff. So he he actually started the thing where you take a person's name and you put a, a mean uh nickname in front of the name. Yeah, I don't know who else does that. Maybe maybe someone else from reality TV. (laughs) Well,
0: I know you and I had been uh, touching on this a little bit before uh, we came on the air. And I think you were a little concerned about bringing up President Trump here. But I do think that, you know, politics aside, that is one of the things in his arsenal that he has done successful, uh, whether it was, you know, low-energy Jeb or lying Ted to crooked Hillary, he will come up with a nickname and brand somebody in a way that they don't want to be branded and will continue to repeat it and repeat it until that nickname will often be synonymous with the person that he's talking about. Tony, we see in Kageyan, will also be doing that, especially, you know, Weasel Woo, which ended up sticking more so than any of those. So it is an interesting tactic that Tony does have In said bag of tricks.
3: Yeah, and and weasel woo. That's something that we do here. In you know, people have called weasel woo, weasel woo in podcasts on uh you know on RHAP. useless Cliff. Luckily for uh, for Uncle Spliffy, has not stuck as as well his his other nickname. Um, but yeah, would you would you would you rather be if you were on Survivor? Would you rather be useless Rob or lion Rob? <laughs> I think I'd rather be useless
0: uh, than lying. I think that once uh. you get branded with you're lying, I think it's really hard to get anybody to trust you, but. Uh, useless, I think you can come back from it's like, yeah, I guess I'm useless. But then once you actually do something, I think that's an easier one to prove where if you're lying, Rob, I think telling the truth once doesn't necessarily change that perception. But if you're useless, Rob, and then you do something useful. Then I think everybody say, oh, I guess
3: we were wrong about you. Yeah, and then you know you make the merge. People think you're useless. You might you might go uh, a long way in the game.
0: And I think that it's probably other things uh, between uh, you know calling Spencer the young lad. I think that that sort of is you can point to like, oh, he's just a kid. You know, he's not somebody who is uh, you know worthy of winning the game or you can't take him seriously. He's just a kid. I think you could do a lot of things with these uh, nicknames that he gives out to people.
3: Yeah, I have the young lad on my list as well. He he gives himself some nicknames too that I think he wanted to stick. At one point, he called himself the king of the jungle. At one point, he says, call me the opportunist, which I don't think anyone's ever called him that before. <laughs> but those, those are on the list. And those are some things that uh, Tony wanted people to call him. And then the last thing uh, under under the nicknames I have um, when he calls Jeremiah, Jeremy. But I think that's a more of a case of nominal aphasia than actually giving him a nickname.
0: Right. And don't forget, of course, that he branded me uh, Rockin' Rob, uh, which has really stuck. And yeah, Magic uh, Mike. Yeah, well, no, Mixmaster Mike, I believe. Mixmaster
3: Mike. I thought it was Magic Mike. Might I thought you both. called him Mixmaster Mike.
0: I don't know. I think he threw out a couple of them, but so not all of Tony's uh, nicknames are gold.
3: Not not all of them are gold. I think Useless Cliff is one that it, when you when you already have the nickname Uncle Spliffy, that one's going to stick way more than anything else. But no, Tony, Tony was very good at coming up with these nicknames. Uh, he also made fun of a lot of the contestants on his season. He used to mock Lindsay Ogle's voice before she quit. Um, at at one point. he he talked about you know Trish being like super psycho, so he he had some zingers in his confessionals, and he used to. It wasn't just the confessionals; he used to say these things to the people um, on the island.
0: I just got really excited for nineteen new Tony nicknames for the cast of Game Changers.
3: What, what do you think? What's it, what's, it, what's he going to call Sandra?
0: Uh, you can't predict it. You can't guess what
3: he's going to call somebody. That's true. He's going to be uh, you know sitting in his spy shack trying to come up with these names all day. It'll be great. All right, so uh, should we go to number ten on the list? Yes. Number 10 on the list is I like to call Top 5 Baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you remember, after uh, winning the challenge, once the uh, the teams are swapped and Tony is on the new Solana tribe, uh, and this is after uh, Uncle Spliffy and uh, Lindsey Ogle were out of the game, um, they won the challenge and Tony goes crazy. He starts jumping around. He starts chanting with his new tribe. And of course, this really angers uh, Sarah, who used to be in his alliance.
2: Oh, God. wins. God. The Muni. That's strong. Top, top five. Top yeah. five. Top five baby. Top five baby. Top yeah. Five. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
3: Woo. Top five baby. Yeah, so Top 5 Baby didn't make my top 5 on the list, but a really great Tony moment. And he I mean this is really a theme of Tony throughout his season where he's such a braggadocious guy, yet it doesn't come back ever to really bite him bite him in the butt.
0: Yeah, he's a uh, very enthusiastic uh not a stoic guy, Tony Blackos.
3: No, not not stoic at all and you know this is why I love Tony so much as a, as a survivor player. He's such a good character and you do sometimes get these big characters on the show, but they don't usually do so well in the game. Tony was able to somehow get all these people back on his side. And even though he, he did piss off half the people in the game, he still ends up going on to the end and, and winning the game. And like I said, this is a theme of his throughout the season. There's another, uh, there's another moment. This is actually in the next episode, which is the merge episode when, uh, Sarah thinks she's the, uh, the queen vote. She thinks she's the decider. The president. Yeah, the president, the president of uh, Kageyan. Uh, yet she's the one who gets voted out because Cass flips. And Tony has a similar moment in this episode after Sarah is voted out. We're tied. Five votes, Jeffra. Five votes, Sarah. One vote left.
0: Seventh person voted out. The first member of our jury. Sarah. bang bang (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Tony doesn't have any half measures. Everything he does, uh that uh, much like Colby Donaldson, yeah, uh, he does full tilt. So when he accomplishes his mission, that he is very demonstrative.
3: Yeah, he he applies it's not it's not only Tony. I think Tony sort of rubbed off on the rest of his alliance. But this is really a crazy episode where to, where I think Tony feels a little bit betrayed by Sarah, uh, because he had the whole Cops are Us alliance with him and and she doesn't end up uh voting with him after the merge. Um And also, I'm sure Tony's probably kind of pissed off at this point, too, because his alliance just wasted two idols.
0: Well, I think he's just happy to uh, have won the day. I think that this really goes back and forth between the two sides. I know it's a very highly contested vote. So I think they're just happy that the right person went home and Cass did flip to their side. I don't think he cared about the idols too much.
3: Yeah, maybe not. Plus, uh, you know, he he'll he'll prove throughout the rest of the season that he has a, a knack for finding these idols. Um, but yeah, again, again, Tony applauds, and you know what? He still gets uh, Sarah's vote at the end of the game, so it doesn't doesn't end up hurting him. He's able to be the uh, the Teflon Don on that. Season. In this game, and yeah, and in this game, we don't know about game changers.
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe Sarah Lacina is plotting
3: her revenge. Bang bang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. It's going to be interesting to see. That That was an interesting dynamic in on to, having Tony and Sarah out there. Sarah, who doesn't really want to betray the whole Blue Bloods cop thing. She won't swear on her badge. And Tony, who has absolutely no issue doing that. And I wonder if we'll see a, maybe a change in Sarah's game as well.
0: We can only imagine. All right. Jordan, what else is on your list?
3: All right. The next one on my list is Tony's paranoia. Um, mm. Tony is a very, very paranoid player. And this is, again, a trait that doesn't usually work out so well uh, for Survivor contestants, but it actually ends up working out for him.
0: Well, let me rebuttal that statement for a moment. And let me go back to the final travel council from Karamoan when Cochran is sitting in the final three and he's talking with Malcolm and Cochran talks about his paranoia. But he says that it was actually a good thing for him because that kept him on the offense and kept him thinking about all of the things that he needed to be working on. So I do think that paranoia is an important thing for a survivor because it combats complacency. But Tony is probably more paranoid than most, even, you know, most winners, certainly.
3: Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think that's where. It may come to bite him in the butt in this game. If he starts on day one, if the first thing he does is, you know, starts running around looking for idols, starts running around, you know, trying to make, uh, you know, cops are us type alliances. I think it could get him into trouble in his second game. But in his first game, he has a very interesting quote where he says he can't tell who's lying to him or telling the truth, which usually is something that comes naturally to Tony and and it comes from being a police officer. Um, but he has a, he has another quote where he thinks, uh, he says he thinks the game is driving him crazy. And he starts to get very paranoid about a um, a alternative fact, which is the non girls alliance in that season.
0: Uh, he is very concerned about that. That's going to be a thing. I think that we also got into it in the sleepover, talking about the girls alliance, whether it was a thing or whether it was going to be a thing, and the existence of that. Or not. I mean, it's going to be a thing for Tony in terms of the people that are on this beach. There are a lot of really great players that are out there. There's not everybody, but there are they are out there with him, and it's going to be hard for him to focus on one threat at a time.
3: Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a very strong top seven, and he was worried about you know Jeffrey getting together with Tasha and and Trish and Cass and uh, getting uh, you know getting him out of the game. But it really, he it ends up uh, you know being a situation, and you know it does it doesn't end up hurting Tony, but it en- he ends up voting out Jeffrey when he could have gotten rid of Spencer. And this is after uh, after Tasha wins immunity, and on paper you would think you, you know you have you have Spencer who is a very big challenge threat. He's a he's a very big big strategic threat, and as opposed to to Jeffra, you know, who wasn't maybe she was, you know, she's not a bad player. She was, you know, she made the alliance with him. She got to this point in the game, but she isn't necessarily the threat to win that Spencer is. And this, you know, this could have ended up really hurting him if Spencer wins that final four immunity and maybe wins one more and gets to the end. Uh, Who knows if Tony is the winner of the season? Because I don't think I don't think Spencer ever takes Tony to the end of the game.
0: Probably not. Is there anything that Tony could be doing to work on this? How do you get less
3: paranoid? I don't know if he can. I think this is just a part of his personality. I think it worked for him very well on the season. It almost ended up screwing up his game at the Jeff vote. I I still think I I was a very big fan, and we're not you know we're not really going to get into too much strategy on the season. I was a very big fan of the LJ vote. I thought it was the right time to get rid of him. However, I did think. It would have been. It would have behooved Tony in this in this situation to get rid of Spencer over Jeffra. Okay, but you know, in his in his head, this whole uh, this all girls alliance was really freaking him out. And you know, there
0: was a uh, a lot of debate as to whether or not that that was a uh, a Spencer seed or a Tasha seed, and uh, you know, if he was incepted or not, or if it was really happening. So. Uh, we don't need to open up every cogion uh, can of worms.
3: No, I think it was both. I think Tasha and Spencer sort of independently uh, of each other sort of did a good job to to feed into Tony's paranoia. All right. What else do you love about Tony? So you just mentioned Inception, actually. And this is uh, number eight. I have Inception. Uh, or is it a Tony seed? Explain. Okay. So we had a, there's, there's two times where I think Tony was actually able to successfully use Inception. If you haven't seen the movie Inception, it's when you're able to put an idea into someone else's head and make them think that it is their idea. Um, so he is able to do this, uh, most most notably at the final three after Wu wins immunity, um, and of course it would make a lot of sense for Wu to bring Cast to the end. Who um, you know everyone on the jury th- saw her as a goat. We would have won the game uh, pretty pretty easily if he had taken Cast to the end. Uh, but Tony is uh, brings up a very good point that kind of gets into Wu's head, and Wu thinks I think Wu thinks he had the idea, but it was really Tony who brought it up first. And we could uh, we could play the clip for this.
2: You're you're a taekwondo instructor, so you have discipline. You have you have honor, you have integrity, you have loyalty. You were loyal to me since day one. So right now, if you were to can me, you can't say you were loyal and you were honor and you were in- integrity. You-, you didn't play a game like that. If, you- if you're if you in control, if uh-huh. you're in the driver's seat and you take cast, you have zero chance of winning. Do you believe that or no? Why is that? <laughs> Cass has stories. She did stuff, even though they were wrong moves. But she she played. She played the game, as opposed to you didn't taking someone like Cass, thinking you're gonna you're gonna run away with it. It's gonna be your demise. You have a better shot taking me than you do with Cass. That's how the game goes.
3: <laughs> I, I think Tony just said in there. He said that you are you're, you're in integrity. Is that like being a sportsmanship? A good sportsmanship? Yeah, I think so. I, I like the part where he says Cass. She made moves. You didn't make moves. She's a hundred percent going to beat you. Yeah.
0: When the clip goes on a little bit longer, Tony even says, he's like, uh, is he buying it? I don't know. If it was me, I would take my shot with Cass. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> he's like, he knows this is not in Wu's best interest. He's like, of uh, course,
3: Tony, Tony knows that Wu should, ta- should take him out. But it, the, the interesting part of this and the, the inception part is actually where uh, he talks about the whole Taekwondo honor thing. And we have another clip of Wu. And this is now after Wu already votes out Cass and he's, he's taken Tony to the end. And it, it is Wu's explanation for why he brought back Tony. I know that taking Tony could jeopardize my chances of winning a million dollars
2: what you did tonight blows everything away because i'm here because of you now but taking them just felt right in a martial arts tournament if i went up against someone who wasn't as talented as i was that victory wouldn't be as sweet you want to go up against um someone who is just as strong maybe even stronger so if you do win it's that much more honorable
3: poor Wu. yeah yeah, poor Wu. It sounds like he, uh, he may have hit up uh, Uncle Spliffy before that confessional. No, come on. That's just how Wu talks. We, we didn't want to see. I, and I, what I didn't realize, actually, just to, to go on a little tangent, I, I didn't remember this, but Tony actually brings up when he's talking to Wu at some point. I don't even remember what the episode is. He talks about the Wu shock face. And I thought that I knew this is something that we always talk about after the uh, the cliff vote. And it's, you know, it's turned into a, a gif or a gif or however you like to pronounce it. But, um, but Tony actually talks about how uh, Wu, he doesn't want to see Wu tri- uh, shock the tribal council again because they're uh, their allies now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. He doesn't want to see poor Wu. Um and uh, we only got to see that a couple times on Second Chances.
3: Yeah, uh, we, we didn't last very long. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he ends up uh, he gets uh, screwed by Cass.
0: Yeah. So, so Tony can put an idea in your head and make you think it was yours.
3: Yeah. The, the Tony seed, which is uh, which is a lot more successful than the, uh, the Russell seed.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, in terms of that, uh, the final travel council, certainly
3: yeah in terms of the fact that he when he when he gets to the end, people don't hold it against him that that he's been lying to them for the whole game. Well, some of them do,
0: but for the most part, yeah good job by Tony.
3: Yeah, good job by Tony. And, uh, just so you know, there's one more time where he, uh, where he uses the inception. And this is when when he wants, uh, to get LJ out of the game, uh, he, he has this conversation with LJ. And the whole point of the conversation is to get LJ to bring up that we need to bring up Wu. So he ends up lying to, uh, to LJ that, uh, Wu might have an idol. And then LJ says, oh, maybe we need to get Wu out. And then, uh, Tony ends up going to Wu and, and saying, look, LJ wants you out. I don't know why he had to go through the whole step of getting LJ to say it. I mean, it's not like they have uh it's not like he could record the conversation he could have just gone to Wu and said oh LJ wants you out and I'm sure Wu would have bought it but he goes through the whole extra step of getting LJ to actually bring up the plan so he was able to you know he was able to get LJ to say what Tony wanted him to say um and this is the uh, the LJ boot episode
0: yeah i think that what he was hoping for was for LJ to bring it up and and for it to actually be what LJ was trying to do i think that would have made it an easier sell because he would have been able to point to like See, like if LJ like says that to Trish, like, I think we should get rid of Wu, then it'll be easier for Wu. And like, I think that Tony was hoping that it would really, you know, uh, set off something in LJ's mind and it would have made his life easier.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tony does end up telling Trish about it, but LJ never comes to Trish with uh, with the idea. All right. So
0: what else do we love about Tony?
3: All right, oh the uh, and we mentioned it before number 7 is Spy Shack.
0: Spy Shack, okay. So, uh what exactly do you love about the Spy Shack?
3: I, what I love about the Spy Shack, and again, I, th- I think I, I can't give Tony complete, uh, complete credit for you know for uh, creating the idea of hiding around and trying to uh, hear people's secrets, because Sandra perfected that in uh, Survivor, Survivor Pearl Islands. But Tony was the one to give it a name. So he actually built these little structures around camp and by the waterhole, and he started this from episode one.
2: I'm, building, I'm doing what I got to do over there. I'll tell you later what I'm working on over there. I'll tell you later, all right? Trish and I, are, we're walking on eggshells with these people, and that's when I came up with the idea let me like, try to spy on them. So as I'm building a shelter, I'm trying to act like I'm trying to protect them from the rain and everything, but I'm building a spy shack.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's pretty inspired to say nobody's ever thought about building a secret compartment in the shelter that they could live in and then spy on people who are in the shelter.
3: No, it's, it's hilarious. I don't know how much information he actually got from sitting in the spy shack and listening and listening to, uh, his, uh, his Braun tribe, but really great, like, you know, great idea. I don't know if it's a great idea from, from a game standpoint. If, 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 you know, if your tribe sees you sitting in this little thing, if they catch you, they're probably not going to trust you, but from a TV standpoint, it's hilarious. And I don't know how he was able to get in there with all the cameras, uh, and uh, not, not, you know, getting the, the attention of the other Apari tribe members, but. Uh, hopefully it worked for him. Some Hopefully he was able to get some useful information from, from uh, sitting in the spy shack.
0: You know, it's amazing that he never got busted with that, because first off, like Tony is kind of a big guy. So, you know, it's hard to hide him. But the other thing about survivors that you probably don't realize at home is that often these uh, survivors can get kind of smelly. And uh, I'm not saying that uh, I would know if Tony was smelly or not, but he definitely looks like he fits the profile in terms of like he seems like he's working hard all day long. Definitely seems like that uh, he would be sweating a lot out there. You'd be surprised that like people aren't like sitting in the shelter and he's in the spice shack and you could just smell Tony.
3: Uh, So you think think you're just sitting there. Uh, What's You know, that sounds like a that smells like a Tony
0: like Tony smell. Your senses are really heightened when you play Survivor. Like I'm not even like making a joke like, oh, Tony smells bad. I'm saying that like that your senses like from not eating all the time, like you could have your sense of smell is like really incredible. And there's like certain people that they walk by and it's like, you know, you you could close your eyes and you know who's there because uh,
3: of the, you know, they are having like signature smells. Uh, do, do you think uh, Tony smelled worse than either Hannah or Will Wall, who we recently found out are the two smelliest people from Millennials vs. <laughs> I
0: don't know. I don't know. So yeah, and maybe Tony, maybe Tony is blessed with, uh, you know, being a, a wonderful smelling person under all circumstances.
3: Yeah, who knows? And, uh, you know, it's, it's not the old, this wasn't the only spy shack he built during the season. A few episodes after the merge, uh, he actually builds uh, another one by the water well. And in this case, we, we do see him hiding in there. And he does overhear uh, Jeffra and Trish talking about him, uh, you know, and his Academy Award winning acting skills. And that's when he decides that he doesn't trust uh, Jeffra anymore. Okay, so it wasn't just the uh, the all girls alliance thing. It was that that as well. Do you think we get a spy shack in season thirty four? I do. I think we are going to get a spy shack episode one. That's my prediction. Yeah, I don't think it's going to work, but I think we're going to get a spy shack. Yeah, people are going to be on the lookout for it. I I think you know Tony is someone who who loves to play it up for the cameras. He has his whole hashtag team TV, his his uh, his t shirts that he liked to sell during the season, and I wonder if we're going to see those come back. That would be really cool. Um, But. I think it's, it's just such a big part of his character that even if the other, you know, his other tribe mates start to see what he's doing, I think he's still going to do it. I th- I don't think he's going to be able to help himself.
0: Yeah. I think that he's got to be really careful with that because I think that the first time that he does a spy shack, I feel like that the response is going to be, here we go again. Uh, you know, I think that people will be very exasperated quickly you know, Tony just needs to be have a low profile and be hard. He, there's two ways he could go.
3: Yeah, low, low, low profile, Rob. How, how, what's a lower profile than hiding in a spy shack? Mm, I guess so. So
0: you think he should make a spy shack and then just go live in there? And everybody's like, where is Tony?
3: Has anybody seen Tony lately? And I, I think that's also probably the best strategy for the show, Hunted. Probably, yeah. Tony could get off the grid. Yeah, I think he'd be good on Hunted. He should, he should apply for the next season. He knows law enforcement. Yeah, and he also, he, he could hide out with the llamas. Yes. Okay. Perfect. All right. What else do you love about Tony? I love this this idea that he comes up with, and I, I don't know if, if he's the first person to have this idea on Survivor, but he really is able to uh, to express it well. And it's the idea of having an alliance of comfort versus having an alliance of numbers. And he has this, you know, he, he's able to really verbalize this very well um, during the uh, the merge episode where he talks about how his alliance is is a tight alliance. It's not just based on the fact that they were swapped together. They're actually people who like each other. They you know they had the whole um, tribal council. Where they voted out Cliff instead of voting out either um, LJ or or Jeffra, and he has this, um, you know, he's really able to sell this to his alliance and also sell it to the other alliance that we're not going to break. We're we're a tight uh, we're a tight group of five people plus cast. We're a tight group of six people, and uh, we have a clip for this as well where he's talking about the alliance of uh, alliance of comfort versus the alliance of numbers. Tony, you have the original Apari, who was then all separated except for Sarah, and now you have the new Apari
0: and the new Solana. Are you noticing different groups of people merging together?
2: I'm noticing that, Jeff, but it's a group of smart people playing, and I'm hoping they realize that you don't move forward with an alliance of numbers. You move forward with an alliance of comfort, who you're happy to be around. Tony is really trying to drive home this point that the other alliance,
0: Apari, They just became alliance because they got swapped into that alliance. While Tony's side, the new Solana, they were some group that came together because they were bonded by like some sort of similar outlook on life. Where it really is exactly the same thing, except for that Cass is voting with them.
3: Of course, of course, and I I think that Tony <laughs> is one of the reasons that Tony was able to win this game and why he's such a great player is that he was really able to sell this not only to Cass but to the rest of his alliance as well. He had the, and I think maybe what the whole top five baby thing accomplished, where he's cheering with his tribe and jumping around as his tribe, is that these are our people. This is this is our tribe. We're going to go into the merge and we're going to run the game after this. And I think maybe maybe uh, the other. The other, the other alliance. While they were close, they weren't able to do this enough to Cass's liking. Where Cass felt more comfortable uh, with with uh, Tony's group. And we have another, we have another clip too. The next clip uh, relates to this as well. Well,
0: I just want to also add that a key part of being an alliance of comfort. You would think would be to have a person who is a pillow in your alliance.
2: Morgan, the girl that you can't tell if she's a pillow or a person.
3: Yeah. So yeah, maybe, maybe Tony was wrong. Maybe the other alliance, since they had Morgan, was really the alliance of comfort.
2: Yeah, it seems like
0: that, that would be more of an alliance of comfort, but maybe uh, Tony knows uh, more than I do.
3: I think it really drove the point home that you have L.J. and Tony playing their idols for each other. These are two very powerful items in the game, and they use it to save each other. And it kind of, I think it kind of drives home the whole point of the uh, the alliance of comfort. So we we there's another clip that we have that also relates to this point. This is actually in the next episode, and this is when uh, you know the, the uh, you know the Spencer alliance, the Spencer and Tasha alliance, are trying to get Cass back, um, and Tony brings up the whole alliance of comfort uh, idea again. So that's the next clip. Typically, how
0: many times have you seen an alliance in which there truly is no one on the bottom? We are all one. We heard it last tribal when the brains were saying we're all one. Yeah, we're all and one. you and called us
2: out. Tony we said did. we were full yes, of it. Yes, but we're saying it for different reasons. This alliance was put together by default. We swapped tribes, we picked for buffs, and here's your six. That's an alliance of numbers. How is that different from how yours because was formed? Because we handpicked each other. I'm just saying someone's always on the bottom.
3: And I'm not saying that there won't be in the future. But
0: as of now, I think that we got a strong alliance.
2: And on top of it, Jeff, Cass is in a comfortable place. So she's sticking
3: to it. (laughs) Yeah, he talks about how Cass is so comfortable now in the new alliance. And that, that, by the way, that was Spencer talking, not me.
0: Yes, got it. Got it. Uh, I like that Tony says, Jeff. The alliance was put together by default. <laughs>
3: yeah. yeah. And and Spencer has the point there where yes, both alliances were put together in the same way. But again, you know, t- Tony isn't isn't, you know, telling the truth here. Tony is putting his case together for why uh, why Cash should stay with them, and it works. That's like the way Tony says numbers. This alliance
2: was put together by default. We swapped tribes, we pick for buffs, and here's your six. That's an alliance of numbers. 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 Yeah. <laughs>
3: Tony's great. Uh, for number five, um, I know you've already, you know you just, you just spend a long time talking about Tony's gameplay, so we're not going to get into the specifics. But Tony's gameplay, besides it being you know very successful and really crazy, it's it's so entertaining. And there's a really a, a great clip here, and this is from the reunion show that talks about how he thought of the game and what what he did in the game to be able to get people back onto his side after betraying them. Uh, so you could play that clip from uh, the reunion show. It seemed to me that you played a very impulsive game. Is that how you saw it?
2: Well, it's impulsive at the moment. But then at night, I had a lot of time to think about what I just did. I said, well, hold up. I can't do that. And then I, re- I got a chance to reassess what I was saying throughout the whole day. And uh, I kept changing my mind at night. I just had a, uh, in, in the moment, I got caught up in the moment. And uh, I don't even know. I, my mouth is dry. I can't even talk. <laughs>
0: so you're not <laughs> sleeping at night then. If you're thinking about the game all night, is that true?
2: Jeff, every single night from day one, I did not sleep at night. I slept six hours a week, if that. Um, during the day, whatever I did during the day at nighttime, it was damage control for everything I did. I always dug my, I dug myself a hole during the day and at night, I dug myself out of the hole.
3: <laughs> so basically, first of all, get this guy a Casper mattress. But second of all, He's talking about how he would he would get himself into trouble during the day. He would you know he, he would spin these lies and he would he would you know blindside people in his alliance and it would get him into uh, into trouble with his alliance. Um, and then at night, when the, what he means by doing damage control is just staying up and thinking about what he's going to do the next day to get these people back. And I think an an overarching theme of Tony's game is that he never stopped playing the game. And it, it's I think it was so it was so much fun to watch. I think he, maybe there were a couple things that he did that were unnecessary, but but he was able to, uh, you know, to, to sort of, uh, you know, get, get people back on his side after screwing them over.
0: Yeah, I maintain that he did plenty of things that were unnecessary. If you're going to put this into sports terms, he's like the quarterback that throws, you know, four picks, but, you know, seven touchdowns in the game. Like he's going to make a lot of mistakes, but then he's going to like make up for the mistakes and try to fix things.
3: So is, is Tony the Brett Favre of Survivor?
0: <laughs> I mean he kind of is. I mean, we don't need to get into the uh texting etiquette of Tony, which I'm sure is uh far superior to that of the default <laughs> Brett Favre.
3: Oh but my god. Yeah. Uh, we don't need to get into that. Uh, he was always, you know, working every single angle, talking to every single person in the game. Um, you know, the, the whole the whole LJ vote. He has this this uh, confessional where he said he's he's not going to wait to get punched by LJ. He's not going to wait, uh, you know, for LJ to vote him out before he could vote LJ out. And that's a move that I said before that I really liked and I thought it was the uh, the right decision at the time. Um, so he was really, I, I think, in certain cases, a step ahead of everybody. But then I think in other cases, he was so far, you know, he was thinking so. far, far ahead of everybody that maybe he was, he wasn't focused necessarily on what needed to be done that day, but he still got to the end of the game and he was able to, uh, to pull it out. So really, really in, incredible um, both from a, a TV standpoint and also a, a strategic standpoint, incredible game. And I, I love this, this quote too, where he's uh, he's talking about the other people in his Alliance talking about um, how they want to eat lime and papayas. And he, he's like, you got to be kidding me We're, we have a, we have a game to play.
0: I mean, if Tony is going to have success in season 34, what he needs to do is be more efficient. I think that, uh, you know, whether you want to use the quarterback analogy or even the construction analogy, Tony this time around, instead of just like building away, he needs to measure twice before he makes a cut in this season where he's not going to be able to make mistakes this time around. He's going to, he will eventually... Get the right move in Kagiyan. He needs to get the right move the first time around in this
3: season. Mm-hmm. And he's he's not going to have that that we'll, we'll call it the offensive line of uh, of Trishan Wu, people who were loyal to him to a fault, protecting him the uh, the whole game, like the Dallas uh, offensive line. Yeah, the Dallas that's a, that's a great offensive line. Jordan Parhar loves that offensive line, mm-hmm. I assume. But he's you know he's going to be playing now with returning players who are. Out there, and they're probably just gonna—they're gonna be just as cutthroat as as he is, and they're not gonna be looking out for his best interest in the game. Like I think at certain points, Wu was and Trish was hardworking man Tony vlachos All right, what else do you have? What why else do you love Tony? Uh, well, like you just said he's a he's a hardworking man and he spent a lot of this game finding and using the hidden immunity idol and he found three idols in the game I, I'm of the opinion and I'll, I'll, I'll say this for Survivor Kageon as well I really think there's too many idols in in these newer Survivor seasons I think they're, they should I, I like them I like having them in the game but I don't like when they have this many in play at the same time and to have a guy find three idols in a season I, I may be somewhat ridiculous but from a pure TV standpoint it was worth yeah. it in Survivor Kagiyan because Tony was so hilarious every time he found a hidden immunity idol. So this is uh, this is the first episode of Survivor Kageon. Uh, this is the first idol that Tony fi- uh, finds in the season. And I'm guessing if you're listening to Rob Has a Podcast right now, you have probably heard this at least 500 times.
2: I went right into the lake and finally I felt a lump. And sure enough, it was an idol right there and I found it. This is huge. I needed this
3: what a good job by tony there
0: yeah i'm glad that uh we were able to include the part where he actually finds the idol where he says uh i've stuck my hand into the lake and i found a lump (laughs) <laughs>
3: yeah, <laughs> I you know that we that isn't part of the uh, the clip that you usually plays, so right. I think that that sort of gets forgotten about. But that that is great. He's he's so funny uh, when he finds this idol, and I and I gotta say, and I'm not going out on a limb here. That's the greatest reaction to finding a, a hidden immunity idol. Maybe the greatest reaction to anything in the history of the show. I, I'm probably that's probably hyperbole. There, I'm sure there's other examples that are, no, that are just as no, funny. No, that's the best. But I don't know. Uh,
0: you did not go out on a limb. And actually, I think that Tony actually found the idol tied to a limb. Under the water, so that's uh, very fitting.
3: That's true. Yeah, he 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 pulled the limb out of the water. He did go out on the limb.
0: Uh, he has a good reaction when he finds the Tyler Perry idol as well. Like again, this goes back to the thing we're talking about with like top five baby and clapping when Sarah gets voted out. Like he's very demonstrative. Like he's not going to just hand the football to the referee when he gets in the end zone
3: and, and what I love about Tony too I don't think he's doing this to play it up for the cameras I think this is just Tony I think this if when when Tony I don't know if he's playing in a like police versus uh firefighter soft uh, softball game or something I'm sure he re, he would react this way if he hit a home run I think this is just who Tony is
0: yeah I think if he's playing Monopoly against his kids I think that uh when he gets a hotel on boardwalk I think he's going nuts
3: right, look, I look I opened the uh, the community chest in my vega of t- and I found the idol.
0: Yes, so I think that Tony is just a really excited guy.
3: And what I really love about Tony too, and this kind of goes to the whole theme of him constantly playing the game. In the next episode, he is—he's actually the one who uh, when they win a uh, a hammock, he's going through the hammock and he actually finds an idol clue to the same idol he already found. But there was no one else on his tribe working that hard, uh, you know, trying to find these things that might be out there in the game. All right, why else do you love Tony? I, I love when he calls himself Super Tony when he's uh, when he's looking when he finds the uh, the super idol, and he has really good reactions. To finding the other hidden immunity idols as well, and I kind of like the way he plays them too. He's you know he's not the kind of guy who's gonna you know who's gonna hide the fact that he has an idol. He's hints throughout the game that he has a super idol that uh, you know we'll get to that actually a little bit later in one of the one of the other numbers how he uses the super idol. But even with his regular idols, he's whipping them out of tribal council. He's putting it around his neck. Uh, he's sharing it with uh, t- telling his alliance that this is an idol that we're going to use as a group. And I think that sort of also fosters that. Clip. Relationship that he had uh, po- uh, post merge. All right, uh, so next on the list we have number three. We have cops are us and the construction worker lie. Uh, we're going to go all the way back to episode one, and if it seems if it seems like a theme that we're going to episode one a lot, Tony has one of the one of the best premiere episodes, I think, for a winner uh, d- definitely, but def- I think one of the best uh, episode ones for anybody. And it's a two hour episode, so we get a lot of Tony material in here. And this is where Sarah actually confronts him, uh, and she's you know she comes clean about being. A cop to to the tribe, but he has a lie. He has a different profession that he wants to tell people that he is.
1: Will you look at me real quick? Will you be honest with me? Uh Are you a cop? No way. You swear?
2: I swear. You look like a cop. I could be a cop if you want. Why? You swear you're not? I swear. Why? I wouldn't hide that. What do you do? Construction tiles. Yeah. That's my main thing, but I do roofing too. Jersey City. You look like a cop. You look like I have a tattoo here. They don't allow that. How do you know? I have plenty of cop friends. You don't know no cops? No, I do know cops. I, I have like maybe 50 friends that are cops. Yeah, What
0: rule
3: is that where you can't be a police officer if you have a tattoo? I don't know, but I think there is a rule. If you know 50 cops, there's probably a good chance that you are a cop. I think he sort of gives it away there, but he's, he's so funny in the scene. I love how adamant he is that he's not a cop and that he's actually a construction worker.
0: It's great. He just goes right into lying 100 miles an hour. Will
2: you be honest with me? Uh-huh. Are you a cop? No wait. You swear? I swear. You look like a cop. I could be a cop if you want. Why? You swear you're well, not. I swear, why? <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. Really great. And, uh, you know, to- Tony, I guess it was a good lie because he-, he didn't use any adverbs in the lie.
0: Yeah. Well, that's good for uh, lie detection from the uh, Echo team on Hunted. But I- he has a weird response where uh, he's like, uh, I'm not a cop. I-, I can be if you want me to. Like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> why would she want him to be one?
3: I don't know I don't know what that means. Maybe he was trying to say, to say like i'm I'm a friend of cops and he, and you're you're a cop so we could work together. I don't know what he was trying to say there. I think he was sort of uh, freaked out that somebody was able to tell that he was actually a cop.
0: so uh then he does say in confessional that he thought about just telling her, but then uh, he didn't until yeah. later
3: <laughs> until the until the next episode when it, when he comes clean about it and he starts the whole uh, cop, cops are us alliance
0: but again that goes back to where he would dig a hole and then at night spend time thinking about how to get out of the hole that he dug during the day
3: yeah absolutely this is probably one of uh, and he has this quote about having uh overnight conversations with the moon at the reunion and i think this is one of them where he says he talks to the moon and the moon, the moon tells him that you should uh you should tell uh tell Sarah about your actual profession and maybe it'll uh you know get you guys to be closer in the game.
0: Wow, I must have missed that where Tony talks to the moon,
3: Courtney Moon. Yeah, maybe Courtney Moon. Maybe that's where Courtney <laughs> Moon's been all this time. She's been in Kagiyan talking to Tony. No, but this was uh, it was in the reunion where Tony's uh, Tony's talking about it was during his nighttime conversations how he talked to the moon and he would uh, he he would come up with uh, his plans for the next day, but. Uh, what, what I really think is is very funny about the construction worker lie. He ends up telling his whole um, the uh, the new Solana alliance um, once uh, you know once Cliff and Lindsay are gone that he is actually a cop. And now most of the people in the game know that he's a cop. And I'm I'm sure other people through the the grapevine through the grapevine probably find out that he's a cop and not a construction worker. But in um, in the tribal council in the uh, the eighth episode, they're actually uh, J- Jeff asked him about the um, uh, the relationship between uh, himself and being trustworthy in real life. And, and this is what he says. Tony, line of work. What do you do? Construction.
2: Loyalty play a part in the construction business? Yes, you'll see it over and over, Jeff. You turn your eye, one of your tools are missing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like- you know, he's great
0: that he can like spontaneously just go into like a detailed lie.
3: Yeah, it's it's fantastic. And I think this is maybe what somebody would say if they were pretending to be a construction worker, uh, because I mean, he, but it's it's such a it's such a funny lie. And I think it just goes with his character. And I think it's one of his best quotes of the season.
0: He's great. So fast on his feet with lying.
3: All right, Rockin' Rob. One of the things, this is what I call a bag of tricks. And Tony starts, uh, post, post-merge, post this is a couple episodes into the merge, he starts to talk about his bag of tricks. And he actually does it at four different tribal councils, where he says he has a bag of tricks, nobody knows what's coming next, and he's going to use what's in his bag of tricks to get farther in the game. And he kind of uses it to intimidate uh, the rest of the survivors out there.
2: When we come to this game, we're accepting the fact that we're going to be deceived, we're going to get stabbed in the back, and that's why I brought my bag of tricks with me today. <laughs>
0: What's in the bag of
2: tricks? (laughs) We'll probably find out tonight, Jeff. But it's something to make me feel a little bit more confident here tonight. I think that this is one of the biggest advantages that Tony has
0: going into this new season, where you got to figure that there's going to be at least one voice in that tribe that he starts out on that says... We got to get rid of Tony. The biggest threat out here is Tony. We all need to get rid of Tony early on. But the thing that he has in his favor is always going to be. But does he have the idol? Does he like what? What does he have planned? Does he has he found the Tyler Perry idol? Does he have a secret plan? And that. Fear of what he could pull off is the best defense that he has, both in Kagiyan and will be potentially for him in this game.
3: I agree with that. That you know, we everyone you know, everyone's going into the season saying that Tony's such a threat, we have to get rid of him. But I think that's a good point where people might be a little bit scared of him. He and it's not, it's you know, it's not the kind of situation where he will go up to you and, and purposely intimidate you. He's a very charming guy. People really, I think, seem to like Tony out there, uh, with the exception of maybe, maybe cast towards the, towards the end of the game, but. But yeah, Tony uh, is somebody who's able to um, when when he has something like an idol or even if he doesn't have an idol, I think if he brings up this whole bag of tricks things again, or if he has something similar in uh, in Game Changers, he's going to be able to use that to his advantage. And like I said, he brings up the bag of tricks. Basically, uh, this, this is the eighth episode of the, uh, of the show. He brings it up in almost every tribal council after that. And this is sort of I'm, I'm going to say it's bag of tricks adjacent. This is before the uh, he ever brings up his bag of tricks. But I'm going to say that this is something right from his bag of tricks. And this is uh, during the episode where uh, Tony and Wu get to go to the Apari camp and steal um, a couple items from the other tribe. And he decides that he's going to roll up a note, which is actually the the, the idol clue from his beach. And he gives it to Jeremiah uh, just to throw him under the bus uh, and paint a target on him, who's one of the stronger members of the other alliance.
0: He is a very unconventional thinker. And just go back to how he used the Tyler Perry idol, where that Tyler Perry Idol would protect him after the votes were read until the final five. And he even after the final five, he misrepresented what the rules were and said that he could use it at the final four vote and got himself not voted out of the game because he was able to say that it didn't expire until a vote after it expired.
3: Yeah, I have that as part as part of this category as well, the Bag of Tricks category, where Tony could have saved Trish at the uh, the final five, but he wants to keep this ruse going where he has this special idol that could p- be played at the final four. And I also love where, when Tony reveals the fact um, after the final four vote is cast, before the, uh, the votes are read, that he had a special idol, but it's actually useless. And if his name is on the parchment three times at the final four, he's going home. But he doesn't get any votes at the final four. And I think someone in Tony's position, and of course, look, he was also, um, it, it's also, a, the, there's a big factor here that, you know, Spencer was such a threat as well. But he doesn't get a vote at the final four. And I think it's partly because of this. And, you know, Tony, you brought up uh, before how he's such an interesting thinker. We you know he is yes, he is paranoid, and yes, he does have a kind of crazy frenetic way of playing the game, but he's not like a mad dog out there like a like a Marilyn Hershey or a, or a James Mattis. He is a very interesting and creative thinker, and I think that's something that could help him in game changers.
0: All right, Jordan. and what is the final thing on your list?
3: All right. So there's one thing that we haven't talked about. I'm pretty sure that you can probably guess what it is. I wrote a song about it once. And number one is, what does the llama say? I love the llama. I love the llama sounds. I love the fact that he talks to Cass and llama. uh, And I love the fact that Aaron Robertson and I were able to write a great parody song about it.
0: Okay. Well, let's just set up this fight that he's getting into with Cass. At the final five, that Cass tries to blow up Tony's game to woo and asks Wu if Tony had made promises to him because he then goes and tries to make promises to Cass because he wants to take her to the end. Cass tries to blow things up, and that takes us into this.
2: I want nothing to do with you, Cass, so okay. please don't talk to me. Everybody's allowed to, to talk to Tony, but nobody's allowed to talk to each other. That's how intelligent you are. You have no idea what you're saying right now. Talking to people and revealing secrets is a totally different animal.
1: Secret.
2: When I told you that, you weren't supposed to tell them. You get it? I'm sorry, I
3: don't I talk llama. Ever. I'm supposed to talk llama to you.
1: <laughs> 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 it's sorry, so,
3: I good. don't talk llama. Yeah. Lama. I love how he says, and I've actually started saying llama like that. And there's very few instances where I have to talk about llamas or say the word llama, but I have started saying llama like Tony. Llama llama is just way more fun.
0: Llama is more fun. Of course, that comes from that Cass didn't want to tell people that she was a lawyer. So she said that she was like an animal trainer or working with reindeer, I think it was. And so, yeah, that's what Tony says, that he needed to talk like an animal in order to get through to Cass. But I think that he does a good job of just like calling Causing a spectacle and causing a scene, so that they get off of talking about. Like, I, I do think that there is a method to his madness. I think that people think like, oh, he's just a crazy guy, but I think that okay, there is a subject that Cass touched a nerve. There's something that he doesn't want to talk about. He wants to change the subject, and he's going to create like a spectacle and make animal noises, so people are talking about that. Like Tony, what was that? Uh, instead of going back to talking about how, but but did you say something to Woo?
3: Did you tell Wu? Did you? promised it to, to him
0: so i think that he's uh, actually like a really good at creating diversions
3: yeah I, I i agree with that and i think this you know while it is in in my opinion at least and on my list it's number one the uh, the funniest uh, tony moment of the season um you're right it is and i i kind of i haven't really thought about it like that before but he did get the heat off of him and he, he brings it up again at tribal council and he makes the llama noise again which is really hilarious because he does it in front of the whole jury Planned this all along
2: Tony said, cast the is off, I'm done with you, it's over, in front of Wu, who he had a deal with. What does that
0: tell Wu? So, Tony, in being so angry...
2: Jeff, I'm emotional. I express my feelings and my facial expressions. She just sits there with the same grin on her face, mad, happy, sad, crying, whatever. Same look, you can't... Look! Here it is. Well, you're making an ass of yourself. And she calls me an animal. So, I had to talk to her like I'm an animal. So, I said, <laughs> so she could understand me. And she got offended by that, Jeff. It's just a joke. It, we, we're here to play a game. Let's have fun with it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's so good.
2: <laughs> yeah that really
0: is one of my favorite tribal councils that it really is great because you have uh, you know trish is shooting daggers at cass and cass is going after tony tony's going after Cass. like spencer is just like sitting there shaking his head the whole time it's really that's a great episode that final five of kagehan
3: it is i mean Kagayan is such a great season and it look i think tony is you know tony's one of the main reasons why it's such a great season, but it's such a, it's a really good cast in general. And when you have people like that, like like Spencer and, and Trish and Tasha and Cass at the, at the end, it's just, it was so much fun. It was such a dynamic group of people and it and it contributed to uh, survivor Kageyan being very high up on a lot of people's uh, seasons list.
0: Yes. Mine especially. All right, Jordan. Well, Great work going through all
3: this. You have any final thoughts on Tony? I hope he gets so far in the season. I do not want it to be a situation where Tony goes home early or even if he goes home first. And I'm going to, you know, I can't really jinx it because the season's been filmed already. But you know what I mean? Uh, I, I hope Tony goes goes as far as possible in this game. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch him again.
0: I need him at least on the jury. I need Tony at least to the jury where I can at least in the second half of the season look forward to him giving a uh, amazing final tribal council speech in Llama. In Llama. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, that would, that would be incredible. And I think, you know, Tony on the jury would be, you know, it, it would be a, an interesting spot to, for him to see what he says to the, uh, the contestants in the finals. But imagine, imagine if he got to the end again. I, I, can, can you see him possibly being the second two-time winner in Survivor history?
0: I am having a hard time drawing up that scenario, but you just tell me the body part that I need to cut off to make it happen.
3: What body part do you need? To uh, it's, a,
0: it's a rhetorical question, Jordan. We don't need to get into... Well, I wanted to answer the question.
3: I, okay. I don't know. A t- t- couple toes? I don't know. <laughs> toes? Are you kidding me? T- the whole foot. Okay. The whole foot. Yeah. Don't, don't do that. We, we don't need Tony to win the season that badly.
0: Great job, Jordan, with this list. So uh, again, uh, thank you for all your hard work and contributions to the
3: podcast. Yes, thank you, Rob. Thanks for having me, and we're gonna be talking again soon uh, on this week in Survivor history. And just uh, just a quick shout out to uh, to Paul Asselson, who got me an amazing this week in Survivor history calendar uh, in the RHAPC Secret Santa, which is it's really gonna be useful and it's a lot of fun to have on my wall and, and brings back a lot of great memories.
0: All right, Jordan. Well, good work there. You could follow Jordan Kalish on Twitter. He is at Jordan Kalish.
3: Godspeed to Tony Vlacos. Yes, good luck, Tony. Uh, we're rooting for you. Or at least I am rooting for you. Okay, take care, Jordan. Bye. You too. Bye. All right,
0: everybody, there you have it. Jordan Kalish and his list of all the reasons he loves Tony. I wouldn't be able to stop at 11. I think I'd have uh, 311 reasons why I love Tony Vlako. So, so I really can't wait for the return of Team TV. So hope you guys enjoyed this deep dive into Tony as much as I did. You know, all of Survivor Kageon was such a special season for me personally, because it was really the first season we got the soundboard involved with everything. We had so many fun characters. It was a season that I feel like was not spoiled In any way, I don't think anybody knew that Tony was going to be the winner. So we had a lot of conversations about the winners at it. And you had these big characters like Spencer, like Cass, all making it down to the end. Nobody could believe that Tony won. And Tony was so active on social media with getting into fights with Steven. And it was also the first season that we had the patron Facebook group. And there was uh, so many fun times in sort of the early days of getting that all set up. And, of course, the patrons have been with us now. On the podcast for three plus years and i'm especially grateful to the patrons for supporting the show to the point where i can do a, a deep dive into 20 different survivor players over the course of a month so i keep trying to give them all of the credit here for this series. So if you want to find out more about the patron program and the stuff that we're doing there, all of the content that's available to you, you can check it out anytime. Go to Rob has a slash patron. We've got another really great show coming up on Friday in the next episode of this series. We'll take a break from this going into Thursday, where we will have our recap of night number five of Hunted on CBS with Kurt Clark and Liana Boris, who you heard on Monday talking about Siri. But we're going to get back into it with episode number four of this series where we will be talking about Aubrey Bracco and Troy Zan here on the podcast. First, we're going to have a friend of mine, Jessica Z, was here in the studio to talk about Aubrey and do a really deep dive into Survivor co where We do a very extensive breakdown of every one of the moments that Aubrey went through in that season. And then I'm going to be talking to Derek Blaze, who is the number one one Troy Zan super fan out there. And he's really pumped up about Troy Zan's return. Thinks a lot of people are sleeping on Troy Zan and he's out to change your perception of Troy Zan. That's coming up on Friday in the next episode of this series. So looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say on RobHasAWebsite.com. Of course, make sure you don't miss an episode when you subscribe to the podcast. Go to RobHasAWebsite.com slash iTunes. Take care, everybody. Have a good one.
2: Bye.
3: They'll go to sea, in. is a ghost, she won't
1: get out to
3: resolve. Truth says food, fish facts not food,
1: but he thinks he knows it all. But there's a sound that no one knows. The